Hello and welcome to the next episode of How Good It Is, a weekly podcast where we take a closer look at popular songs from the rock and roll era and look into some of the stories behind those songs and the artists who made them famous. My name is Claude Cole and too many people have a tough time understanding that. Hey, don't forget to check out the website, howgooditis.com, where you can find some additional trivia, some follow-ups, and some other stuff that I found interesting. And, of course, go follow and like the show's Facebook page, which has some other stuff that'll keep you busy. You can find it at facebook.com slash howgooditispod. There are certain phrases in our culture that can have multiple meanings. For instance, if you say the city, you might mean New York City. Or you might mean Los Angeles. This is the city, Los Angeles, California. Because of Dragnet. Or you might just mean whatever city is closest to you. Another example, if you say the word babushka, you could mean a scarf for a woman's head, or you could mean somebody's grandmother. But in the land of rock and roll, when you say the killer, there can only be one person you're talking about. Jerry Lee Lewis was born in 1935 in the town of Faraday, located in eastern Louisiana. As a youngster, he learned to play piano with a couple of his cousins, Mickey Gilly and Jimmy Swaggart. Yes, Mickey Gilly, the country music star, and Jimmy Swaggart, the television evangelist. He's related to them both. Lewis was inspired by music he'd heard on the radio, but he also learned a lot from music he'd heard at Haney's Big House, a black juke joint from across the tracks. Jerry Lee also cited the Great American Songbook and Hank Williams Sr. as big influences on him. His mother enrolled him in Southwest Bible Institute in Waxahachie, Texas, so that he would be singing exclusively evangelical songs. But during a church assembly, Lewis played a boogie-woogie version of My God is Real, and that was pretty much the end of his academic career at the Southwest Bible Institute. The next morning, the dean of the school called Lewis and the student body president named uh, Perry Green into his office to expel them. Lewis actually went to Green's defense saying he shouldn't be expelled because he didn't really know that what Jerry Lee Lewis was about to, ha- about to do. Well, after that, he went home and he started playing at clubs in and around Faraday and in Natchez, Mississippi, becoming part of the early rock and roll sound and cutting his first demo recording in 1954. He traveled to Nashville about 1955, where he played in clubs and he attempted to build interest, but he was turned down by the Grand Ole Opry. In November of 1956, Lewis traveled to Memphis, Tennessee to audition for Sun Records. Sam Phillips, the label's owner, was out of state, but producer and engineer Jack Clement recorded Lewis's composition End of the Road and a cover of uh, Ray Price's Crazy Arms. In December of 1956, Lewis began recording prolifically as a solo artist and as a uh, session musician for other Sun artists, including Carl Perkins and Johnny Cash. His distinctive piano playing can be heard on many tracks recorded at Sun in late 1956 and early 1957, including Carl Perkins' Matchbox, Your True Love, and Put Your Cat Clothes On. Listen closely, and you can tell right away that's Jerry Lee Lewis banging away on the piano. I ain't got no matches, but I got a long way to go. I'm an old poor boy, long way to come home. 
Now, until that point, Rockabilly had rarely featured piano, but even having it deep in the mix, as it was on these records, proved to be an important addition, and Rockabilly artists on other labels also started working with piano players. On December 4, 1956, Elvis Presley dropped in on Phillips to pay a, a social visit, while Perkins was in the studio cutting new tracks and Lewis was backing him on piano. Johnny Cash was also there watching Perkins, and the four of them started a jam session, and Sam Phillips, he kept the tape rolling. Now, these recordings, almost half of which were gospel songs, have been released in Europe in 1981, and they were released on CDs in 1990 as Million Dollar Quartet. The tracks also include Elvis Presley's Don't Be Cruel and Paralyzed, uh, Chuck Berry's Brown-Eyed Handsome Man, Pat Boone's Don't Forbid Me, and Elvis doing this impression of Jackie Wilson on Don't Be Cruel. Any song, it's song. That quartet just in the background, you know. But up, but up, but up, but up, and he was out there cutting it, man, and oh, I'm going way up in there. <laughs> oh, man, that's classic. If you can't come around, at least, please, a telephone. That's a great I went back four nights straight, man. I went back four nights straight and heard that guy do that. He said, He'd soften up, he'd say, I don't. He'd shake his head and say, I don't want no other love. Baby, it's just you are. He'd say, mm, well, then I don't want to stop thinking of me. Man, he sung a hell out of that song, man. I was on the table looking at him. But it was time for Jerry Lee Lewis to break out on his own, and uh, his first hit is what we're talking about this time around. Whole Lot of Shaking Going On was written in 1954 by a pair of men named Dave Curley Williams, who was a singer-songwriter, and James Roy Hall, who was a pianist and club owner. On some copies of the record, you'll see the name Sonny David as one of the writers. That's a pen name for Hall. The most common version of the song's origin story is told by Hall, who said that the two of them were out on Lake Okeechobee fishing and drinking wine, mostly drinking wine, and there was a guy who could ring a big bell to get everyone to come to dinner. Paul said he asked, well, what's going on? And he was told, we got 21 drums, we got an old bass horn, and we even got keeping time on a ding-dong. And that became the heart of the original first line of the song. 21 drums on an old bass horn, and somebody beating on a, a ding-dong. In March of 1955, Big Maybell made the first recording of the song on OK Records, a recording that was produced by Quincy Jones. Now, the songwriting credit on this label goes to D.C. Williams, which is presumably Dave Williams, but here's where it gets just a little bit weird. In September of 1955, so just a few months later, Roy Hall recorded the song. Uh, this time it was on Decca Records, and this is where the Sonny David name appears. And it was at this point that Hall is saying he was the only person to write the song. But there are copies of the Decca version that list Dave Williams as the sole composer. Now later on in the documentary, Jerry Lee Lewis gave the credit, er, incorrectly of course, to Big Mama Thornton. At any rate, all subsequent recordings of the song, including Jerry Lee Lewis's version, credit both Williams and Hall under the Sonny David moniker. Yes, I said, come on over, baby, baby, you can't 
Now, Jerry Lee Lewis's recording is clearly quite different from the first two. He opens it up with that boogie-woogie piano, and it never lets up from beginning to end. The recording session took place in February 1957, and it also features Roland James on a muted guitar. No kidding, you can barely hear him in the mix up until the bridge, and J.M. Van Eaton playing the drums. And that's it. There's no bass on the record because Jerry Lee was so good at using the low end of the piano. And like many songs of that era, the whole thing was recorded in mono using a single microphone mounted on a boom. Now, Jerry Lee Lewis knew right away that the song was going to be a hit, he said, and he also noted that Sam Phillips thought it wasn't going to happen because it was too suggestive, especially given those lascivious little spoken bits. And certainly radio stations did try to find reasons not to play it. It was suggestive, they said. They also thought he cursed on the record because Wella sounds like Wella, I guess, and also because he sounded like he might be black. Remember, this was 1957, and there were a lot of radio stations that wouldn't play black artists. But the record did sell well in the South, and when Lewis performed it on the Steve Allen Show in July, it became a national hit with over 6 million copies sold. The record went to number three on the Billboard pop chart and number one on the R&B chart. It was also number one on the country charts, and it went to uh, number eight in the UK. Later on, in March of 1958, Lewis performed this song and a couple of others on the first national broadcast of American Bandstand. He is only one of two acts not to lip-sync their songs on that show. Lewis's version of the song has been ranked as the 61st greatest song of all time by Rolling Stone magazine and, in 2005, it was selected for permanent preservation in the National Recording Registry at the Library of Congress. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Jerry Lee Lewis was one of the inaugural inductees to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1986. He'd recently been hospitalized several times because of stomach problems, so he didn't look well, but he was the guy responsible for starting an unplanned jam session at the end of the evening, which of course has turned into a kind of annual supergroup event. So 30 years after showing the world a new way to play the piano, Jerry Lee Lewis carved out a path for the Rock Hall's annual traditions. And that's it for this edition of How Good It Is. If you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com or you can follow me on Twitter at howgooditispod. And naturally, check out and follow the show's Facebook page at facebook.com slash howgooditispod. And finally, you can check out the show's website, howgooditis.com, where I throw in a few extra bits for you. Next time around, we're going to find out how good it is when Ron Dante starts banging on the piano. Is that banging on the piano? I don't know. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you then. Yeah.